Hey y'all, hey, welcome to Where's My Blueprint Podcast, where we talk about all things adulting, our experiences as three Black women on this amazing journey of living our best life, trying to support each other as we figure out this ghetto world of adulting. I am joined by my amazing co-host, Nay and Sunny D. Hey honeys, I'm Nay, your virtual homegirl who thoughts on almost any and everything. Also, full-time parent, and sometimes you may hear my little one in the background of this podcast. Lo siento, I am sorry. To me, adulting is a game of whack-a-mole. Once you think you have one thing conquered, something else pops right up. Hey everyone, it's Sunny D. And to me, adulting is choosing to be your best self while that laundry piles up and the dogs chew on your good shoes. Yo, this is your girl, Nakai, and I'm your host of Where's My Blueprint Podcast. I randomly burst out in song, love ice, and think adulting is a beautiful storm of I get to do what I want to do mixed with what the hell did I sign up for? Thanks for joining us. Now let's get to the episode. Hey, welcome back to Where's My Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver entertaining, educational, and some inspirational thoughts and comments all about adulting. I hope everyone had a great 4th of July and y'all are enjoying your, if y'all are in the state of Texas, enjoying this amazing, beautiful, hot as hell heat. If you're anywhere else, hopefully you're by a beach or an ocean or some type of body of water and enjoy it. Have fun. Hey friends, can't get enough of Where's My Blueprint podcast? Join our free VIP community for exclusive WMB content, including a brand new newsletter, bonus episodes, and so much more. You can sign up for free by clicking the VIP is a place to be button in our link tree in the bio of our Instagram at Where's My Blueprint pod. Can't wait to connect with you. Okay, you guys, for our either or this week, I don't know how or why this came to my mind, but you find buried treasure, but you have to give it to a museum. It can be historical, something super African, something that you wouldn't want a museum to have, but you have to give it to it. Or you have a really expensive antique, but you don't know that. Which are you going to choose? I'm going to go with the buried treasure, but I have caveats. First of all, we need a media kind of video explaining what what the buried treasure is and my name needs to be on the placard at the museum. I say that because if we do the expensive antique and never know it, what if my house gets robbed and somebody takes it and then I can't, you know, say count that for insurance purposes. So I could be out a million dollars and never know. So yeah, I'm going with the antique. Well, not the antique, but the buried treasure at the museum. So I have questions (laughs) with the buried treasure. My thing is like, why do I have to give it to a museum? Like who said that I have to give it to the museum? Why can't I keep it for myself? Like, is there like a unwritten rule that if you find something that's a buried treasure, you have to give it to a museum? Like, is that a question you want me to answer? I'm guessing you don't have the answer. The answer is because that's how I formulated the either or. Either you find buried treasure and you have to give it to a museum or you have an antique and you don't know that. Um, that's it. Okay. Well, I'm going to add mine into that. I don't want to give it to a museum if I find my buried treasure. <laughs> I'm not, so I'm going to keep it for myself. Because technically, I can turn a room in my house into a museum. And there you go. So that's an option. (laughs) And then I even think of like the opposite end of like, if I own something that's expensive. I even think about that now. Like, if you have like grandparents who own stuff, who don't tell you ever the value of it, they just keep it. And then it's not until you do an estate sale or someone comes in to appraise everything. And that's when you're like, oh, shoot, this whole entire China set was actually worth $70,000, $80,000. And we just thought it was like, she just holding it in this glass thing because you don't want to buy touch it or because kids will be kids and we break stuff. So I guess my either or is, I don't know which one I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick Buried Treasure because I'm going to turn my 
own room into a museum. I mean, if we use your metaphor, unless you get the buried treasure or praise, wouldn't that be the same as the other half of the either or? Possibly, yeah. But if we if it's buried, either way it goes, if we appraise it, I'm still keeping it in my space. In my, I don't want to give it to nobody. Mm-mm, trust, I don't trust all kinds. So since we're making up stuff, if we go with the buried treasure option and I have to give it to a museum, it's going to be a museum from the authentic place of that buried treasure. So for example, if it's buried treasure from like some tribe in Africa, guess where it's going to go? In Africa, in that country, in the museum over there, because that belongs to them and not to some white people in England or the Smithsonian or whatever. So if it has to go in a museum, it's going to go in the museum of the people that that buried treasure has come from. Personally, I would rather have an expensive antique and not know it because I don't know it. And what I don't know, I don't know. So it wouldn't bother me either way if it turns out to be super expensive and I don't have it anymore. And I was like, well, I guess that's a blessing for somebody else because I didn't know that. And that doesn't affect me in any way, shape or form. So I'm gonna go with that. (laughs) Good either or create a lot of dialogue today. I don't know why I thought I was like I feel like you were watching some type of movie or TV show or something that had to do with buried treasure or whatever but wherever it came from the heavens above thank you and so y'all y'all know we do a quotes of every single episode and so today's quote is it's hard to wait around for something you know might never happen it's even hard to give up when you know it's everything you want facts to keep it short I think this quote is in alignment with my own feelings in like regards to parenthood and pregnancy and the trauma that could potentially happen or usually does happen when you're expecting something that never comes. Like that's a very real emotion that I personally have had. So this is very much in alignment with how I feel about it. Yeah, I think the, I really like this quote and I don't, it's not, it's by anonymous. So y'all to be in a blog. I really like this because I feel like in life, sometimes you can want something so bad and you will do any and everything in your power to grasp it, right? And then having to battle the realization that it won't happen to me is like, that's the journey, right? To process it, which is hard because it's like, I just want it so bad. I want to want it. And I'm going to use like a very third grade example. You have a kid who really, 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 really wants this toy. And this toy is everything in this child's world, right? This toy is everything. Like, mom, if I get this toy, I'll be the most popular kid at school. Like I need it, I need it, I need it. And in reality, it's like, no, you're not getting it. We don't have the money for this five dollar toy like no it's a no the grand scheme it's a no but for that child it's like this is the only thing that will keep me alive does that example make sense i absolutely think it makes sense that made me think of wanting to go to a concert i think i was maybe in middle school and i wanted to go to this concert so bad and my parents had got me tickets for it and i was it was like the best thing in the world for me and then the tour got canceled and i couldn't go because like the tour ended and i was devastated and i tell you devastated i mean devastated and what's interesting is when i went back home to visit my mom not too long ago, like a couple of weeks ago, I actually found uh, the tour post poster in like a trunk. And now I'm mad all over again because I still ain't went to that concert and I still want to go. But yeah, back then it, I was devastated when I couldn't go to that, like cry. All right, folks, um, as you may be able to tell by some of our responses to the quote of the day, we are delving into pregnancy. But this is your friendly trigger warning up front. This episode will contain sen- the sense 
sensitive topic of pregnancy loss and possibly the process and thoughts surrounding it, as well as testimonies and trying to conceive in general. As a mom that is part of this club that has too many members, but never like not nearly enough conversation, I know depending on where you are in your journey, this can be extremely triggering or traumatizing or re-traumatizing. Like I always say, y'all's mental health is more important than clicks or any other metric we can possess. So if this is above your threshold, do yourself a favor and click off now. With that being said, we hope to give this topic the respect and reverence it deserves, but we also don't want to make it totally doom and gloom, sadness, and soberness. To get into this episode as women who aren't part of the mommy club, how do y'all feel about this topic? I'm excited about this topic because for me, although I'm not in the mommy club, I feel like I'm in the mommy club, like I'm an honorary member. And... I feel like I'm an honorary member one because like if y'all listen to this so far, y'all been one of our loyal fans. Y'all don't have a little sister and she's 17 years younger than me. So while I was in high school, I was basically raising a kid. So that was to me like really, really hard. But then also I love this topic because like you said, it doesn't get enough light and shine. And it's something that should, it's, I don't want to say normalized because I don't think this should be normalized, but it's something that should be, <laughs> should be talked about because I feel like a lot of women are dealing with this and dealing with different aspects of this by themselves or alone and as we know anything of that if you have to go through anything alone it's so much harder to get out I'm not gonna lie I am not nervous per se but I absolutely feel emotions bubbling at the surface that may or may not come out I'm not part of the mommy club as of yet so none of this experience is anything that I have ever dealt with from a personal perspective but I'm very close to people that have and me being the empathetic person that I am empath that I am can feel those emotions and take me back to being that support of the person when they've gone through that so that'll probably come up to. So am I excited about it? Not in the traditional sense, but it is definitely something that I think we should vocalize more and, and create a community about because those women that go through these things and they feel like they're isolated in the midst of whatever it is that they're going through need to know that there are people that are in their corner. Yes, because just to briefly touch on this aspect of me and Jay's journey, like we went through therapy. So our therapist was also a part of this, you know, little club, shall I say. So we recognize that we weren't the only ones who have been through this, as well as we're not the only ones who are going to go through this. But depending on where you are in your journey and who's in your circle, you might feel alone and isolated and you might start to feel like it's your fault and hold some guilt and shame surrounding this when it happens to a plethora of families for a plethora of reasons. So to kick off this episode, episode. Let's run through a couple of terms that I feel like we're going to use throughout this episode, just so we all come from the same starting place. So there is a difference between stillbirth and miscarriage. According to the CDC, both miscarriage and stillbirth describe pregnancy loss, but they differ according to when the loss occurred. In the U.S., which makes me feel like even in different countries, the differences are different. But in the U.S., a miscarriage is usually defined as a loss of a baby before the 20th week of pregnancy. So that is before the third trimester and a stillbirth, well, fourth trimester is after you have a baby. So yes, before the third trimester and a stillbirth is the loss of a baby at or after 20 weeks of pregnancy. So a miscarriage before 20 weeks, a stillbirth at or after 20 weeks. And then there's a difference between stillbirth and stillborn. So a stillbirth is usually diagnosed by an ultrasound exam to show that the baby's heart part 
heart is no longer beating. And after the delivery process of said fetus or baby or infant, the baby is found to be stillborn if there are no signs of life, such as breathing, heartbeat, or movements. And that's according to an article by Melissa Conrad, well, doctor, put some respect on the woman's name, Dr. Melissa Conrad Supler, Stopler. Y'all will see it and pronounce it how you see it. Thank you for those definitions. And I say that because that helped me out a lot. And I'm just over here thinking like, oh, in my mind, I thought stillbirth and stillborn were the exact same thing. So thank you for that because I want to know like how many other people think it's the exact same thing and don't know the differences between each one, but just know it's a loss. You know what I mean? And then I think of like having to, no matter which category it is, having to explain that to someone who doesn't get it, who is able to have like X amount of kids just popping out, like pop, 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 you know, <laughs> like Skittles. Or even if you're not a part of the club, you typically it's more common to hear about miscarriages happening before 12 or 13 weeks. But even before I joined the club, I thought still birth were when you give birth to a baby and then as it, you know, leaves out of your body, you realize that the baby no longer has a heartbeat, no longer is with us. But due to our experience, that's when I was more educated on, no, it's a stillbirth. If during the course of ultrasounds, during the course of not feeling kicks, during the course of XYZ, you get that ultrasound and it shows that the baby no longer has a heartbeat. That's when it's stillbirth, not just upon exiting. Oh my God, what happened? So you are journaling, journaling, wrong word. You are navigating us to this question that I want to ask. And again, you already know boundaries is my first favorite and always word. So I'm going to ask the question you share as much as you want. If you don't want to share, you don't have to share. You already know. Tell us about your journey and what, let's start with that. Just tell us about your journey and how you were introduced to this club. So story time with me. Jay and I were living in Virginia at the time. He was at work. I was just getting off of work. No, I was in the process of about to get off of work. I worked with another family and we were just talking about the baby. And I was like, oh yeah, I haven't felt the baby. Moving a couple of days now. Mind you, I had placenta previ. I think that's how you pronounce it. And that's when actually your placenta is in between the baby and your stomach, for lack of better words. So it means that the baby is insulated from the kicks and everything else, which means sometimes it's harder to feel the kicks when they occur. Even with Alex, it was about maybe three weeks before my due date before I started feeling kicks. Like I was literally seeing his foot <laughs> move through my stomach and that's when I fe- I felt kicks anyway and the mom was like hey you might want to call get that checked out mind you at the time I was I think about 26 weeks so I was pretty far along call went to urgent care because I called and they were like um you need to go to your nearest doctor and I was like okay there's one so we were living in Virginia Beach there is a hospital in Portsmouth which is about 20 minutes away they were like no you need to find the nearest and I was like, okay, um, anxiety, not good patient care, but I, I did what they said. So we get there and I'm getting the ultrasound. I call Jay on the way and he's like, I don't want to terrify him for no reason because first time parents, you know, and he's at work. So I don't want him to come all the way here for no reason and be like, ah, yeah, look at the picture of baby. Ah, ain't that cool? So anyway, um, I'm in there and I'm talking to the nurse, the tech, and they're like, oh, this baby be like, did you drink, you should drink something. Did you drink anything cold? Because sometimes that jolts 
babies and that gets them to move in anything cold, anything with caffeine, like not too much caffeine, but like any Sprite or something like that, that'll like perk them up and get them to move in. And I was like, no, I didn't really do that. I maybe drank a little water. And they were like, okay, because we feel like it's playing with us. Like we would think we feel it and then it'll go somewhere else. At this point, that was totally on par for my kid as well as subsequent kids. Alex was the same way. He was a not to this day, he is not a performing kind of kid unless he wants to be. <laughs> so they were like, since we're going back and forth, why don't we take you to the ultrasound? Get to the ultrasound, all of my medical professionals. This is when you need to have great bedside manner. Yes, you don't want to be the one to be the bearer of bad news, but if somebody is in this situation, it's already a high anxiety time. So I'm at the ultrasound and the tech is moving the gel on my belly with a little wine, did it, no words. Like not telling me what they're doing, not telling me what they're seeing, not telling me anything. And then they're like, okay, you can go back. So I'm like, what's going on? So by this time, Jay makes his way and the doctor coming in and they're like, so the baby has no heartbeat. I'm like, what you mean the baby has no heartbeat? Five minutes ago, y'all was saying the baby was playing hide and seek. What, what then happened between here and there? And so if you know me, even more so now, but I still had a little bit of me, I'm like, Mm-mm, you got to make a plane. Tell me what it is. So the doctor literally said, okay, these are the colors that we would typically see in a beating heart. Your baby has none of these colors. So at that point, I'm shut down. And then Jay's there asking questions and they're like, what do you want us to do? Do you want to try to like deliver and pass the baby? baby on your own at home? Do you want to go to the doctor and deliver it there? And I'm like, I mean, if the baby has no heartbeat, then what? why are we going to go home and try to pass it? I kid you not. We get in the car. These are my exact words to Jay. So we're going to go to the hospital. And then when we get out, we're going to get a bottle of something. And we're just going to be messed up for this whole weekend. Because in that moment, that is how I felt I needed to cope. We're going to do what we got to do. And then I'm just going to be drunk the whole weekend. Like, <laughs> it is what it is. So, oh, also, mind you, at this point, my family doesn't know. Like, none of our family knows. So, we go to Portsmouth. We go to the hospital. We're getting, you know, called up and everything else. We get checked in. And so, I didn't know all the process it takes to, for lack of better words, expel a baby. They were doing cervical checks. They had to give me Pitocin. They stuck a ball up my cooter to try to get me dilated. Like, it was a whole process. And my hippie dippy butt was like, well, why can't I just walk? Because at this point, the baby, like they were saying one or two things are going to happen. Either we can pass the baby and I might get to hold him or her. It was a him. We called him Deuce. So I would get to hold, we would get to hold him for a couple of seconds. And then, you know, they would have to do what they had to do. Or they would have to, if I got dilated enough, take forceps and do what all amounts to basically a abortion. So a D and it's either DNC or DNE. I forget which one it is. Caveat, this is also why it's important to not abolish abortion procedures because it's not just the person who doesn't want a kid. Sometimes this is women who are already in a tough situation and the process needed to complete these procedures is the same process. 
So let, let's everybody be equal. If you don't want to have no abortion, don't get one. But these are still medically proven, medically safe procedures that other women can utilize when they're in tough situations. Back to the source. So I'm like, okay, I just want to walk. Maybe that'll help, you know, move things down, get things going. Very well mean. But they put us on the floor with other pregnant women who were in the process of giving birth. This is the well-meaning part. My nurse was like, no, you can't leave this room. You can't go walking. I don't want you to be triggered. But I'm telling her, this is what I need. I will be fine. Da, 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 da. And she's like, no. Almost like she knew me better than I knew me. And I'm like, but this is me and this is my body and this is what I'm telling you I want. If it comes to be, then, you know, we'll do it with that when we come from. But you don't, I don't care if you've seen 3,000, 5 million women every year who in this situation. They're not me. I'm not them. You can give suggestions, but you can't force me not to do this. So after me advocating for myself repeatedly, they shut down a wing <laughs> or like a little hallway. And they were like, okay, you can walk down this hallway. And I was like, cool. We got there on maybe a Friday. It wasn't until Saturday evening or Sunday morning that we sent the text message to all of our family. Now, you all may be wondering, well, why didn't you call? Why are you sending text messages? That's so impersonal. Exactly. Because this was me and my husband's situation. We needed to deal with this ourselves and we didn't need to be managing other people's emotions during this time when our focus was on each other, us, and getting through this period. So we didn't let them know about until like, I want to say that Sunday or Saturday night. Now, mind you, even if we told them what they going to do, even if they flew in town, you can't take, you can't be like Jesus and take the cup. Like you can't do nothing but get on my nerves at this point. So they were like, okay, we're going to do the procedure on Monday. So I think that was a Monday. Deuce was born. I didn't get to see him, didn't get to hold him. But like I said, the nurse was very well-meaning. She gave us this little piece of paper that has his hand and his footprints on it. So we still have that. They gave us the card for the social worker in the department, as well as the case manager. So we got therapy immediately started because we are a pro therapy family. And we did our sessions. We started the process of cremation, got him cremated. And yeah, like we still talk about Deuce to this day, like our son, I don't know how much he is aware just developmentally, but we still say he has an older brother. We still say that he is not an older brother yet. Um, we talk about Deuce being in heaven. It was so funny. Like Alex has always been alert and he's always seen a tad bit more mature and older than he was. So when he was a baby, he would literally be staring off like in the corner of a room and just like laugh and smile and everything else. And so we would be like, oh, are you talking to your brother? Tell him we said hi. Are you talking to your ancestors? Tell him we said hi. And we joke and say that when before Alex came to the earth, Deuce downloaded him on a lot of things because he is developmentally more advanced than a child his age kind of should be. So we were like, yeah, that was just his older brother that told him all the 
with cheat codes and we wasn't ready. But yeah, like my family, we still talk about Deuce. Like me and my mama do. He's not a dirty little secret in the family. It is what it is. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I love that you said that he's not a secret because I do feel that in some cases, and I'll use my family, but I won't say which member of the family. There we go. Has went through the process also, but it's like a secret. It's only a you, if you know, you know, and if you know, you don't tell nobody unless she says something, which to me is like, this is a concern in the black culture. And it may not even be in black culture. I'm just going to say in families in general, because like every culture probably has those secrets that you don't tell anybody or, you know, we're going to rush, put this under the rug and nobody says anything. But I do want to commend you on one, realizing that baby Alex is talking to baby Deuce. And I love it because I do believe little ones still have that connection with God and like their, their, their line is pure and open and you can tap it. They can tap into anybody that you need to. So I love that. No, like that is very much so not a secret just for the black community, because I don't feel like our story is everybody's to hear, but if it comes up or if it is a natural progression in the conversation, I'm a million and 37% open to talking about it because I do feel like it is more common than we think and not enough light is placed on it and sharing my story maybe could help somebody else who has gone through that and hasn't disclosed it feel like they're not alone so much so that I was talking to a lady when we were in Virginia and she told me that she had a stillbirth like 20 years ago and she keeps everything in a box and her kids know but they don't talk about it and I just everybody's journey is different everybody grieves how they need to grieve and in the ways in which they need to grieve but I love the openness of our immediate family that we can have those conversations and you talking about kids being conduits to the other world is so true because when Alex became more verbal I would ask him like oh are you talking to your brother and he'd be like yeah I'd be like oh okay isn't that so awesome like oh I just oh the way God has created us and tapping in is just phenomenal and believe me past my mental capacity say that now um but I do want to touch on something that you said two things one I think your story let me rephrase I know your story is not only helping someone it's literally changing someone's life and I've already told you this on off mic is that you are so powerful your words are literally I don't want to say like the generic life-changing but they are literally with life changing and they're helping so many women to understand like I don't have anyone else I have nay you know what I mean like I may not have her number but I know there's someone out there that I can reach out to you know y'all can do that on Instagram we're not giving anything personal out so <laughs> but I also want to loop back to what she said about nursing the nurse not basically telling you what you needed versus listening to you this pisses me off <laughs> because working in the healthcare industry you and I I used to work in here. I understand their mentality behind it only because of code pink, which is if y'all are listening or y'all work in the healthcare field, code pink is basically like if a child is abducted or a child is taken, specifically an infant from the hospital, they shut everything down. Like no one's getting in, no one's getting out, no matter what, until they find that child. And so I could see their worst case scenario is that they have you walking and then all of a sudden a trigger and you take another kid and you leave. Like I see that from the work side part of 
of it, right? The policies, the procedures, but it's called a human side. Like you have to be human. And it pisses me off because it goes back to, and maybe I'm reading too deep into this about like black mental health, specifically in a hospital. If I'm telling you, this is what I need. I'm not asking you for permission. I'm not asking you your thoughts. I'm not asking you your advice. I am literally verbally telling you in a language we both understand in the words we both can comprehend, this is what I need. And so with that, when I heard that through your story, I was like, ooh, give me that nurse's information. I'm going to report her. (laughs) But I'm like, I know you have moved through it and healed and forgave this, that lady though. But yeah, that just grind my gears. Yeah. And I don't think it was even a code pink situation, like, you know, whatever, whatever, because that was never voiced or disclosed to me. And maybe if that was, then I could be more understanding about the situation, but she literally made it seem like it was for the betterment of my mental health. And I'm like, well, no, even if I do get out here and I see another pregnant lady or if I see a newborn and have a whole panic attack, then we deal with that thing. Like we cross that bridge when we get there. And just to um, let the people know, there were no precursors to us losing our son. Like there were no red flags. There was nothing like that. Once we got all of the medical blood work and everything else, it showed that there was a blockage in the umbilical cord. And we don't know if that happened through the course of the trauma or if that was the start of the trauma, which is why when we were pregnant with Alex, um, after the first trimester, I started to take blood thinners. Like my doctor was like, no, we are going to prescribe you blood thinners just to make sure that the blood flow, you know, will not be compromised. And that is also why we had a scheduled induction because our doctor, her doctor was really cool. Like he even said, we're going to do all of the tough questions that you might not think are even necessary at the beginning of our relationship. That way, when it comes time for you to have your baby, you're not dealing with things from an emotional point of view. So we had a lot of, you know, really hard conversations. We had a lot of what if conversations, And that made me trust him even more because he'd been with me shooting in the gym. Like he's told me, hey girl, you tripping. Like <laughs> you being anxious, like this ain't even a concern. Like we, we've done all of the things. So we had the induction. Um, that's where I was going with this. I was supposed to get induced at 39 weeks. Everything was fine didn't feel any contractions, didn't feel anything else. I also, because I was technically high risk, was getting monitored more than I would have if I wasn't. Little thing they don't tell you. If you are um, not a high risk pregnancy, meaning you have no health complications, you're not uh, of an advanced maternal age, in the U.S. advanced maternal age is 35, which I have issues with, but that is what it is at this point in time. You really only get ultrasounds maybe three or four times in your whole pregnancy. Um, The first one being, I think, at... 12 weeks. So after, or the first one being like when they do the test to show that you are pregnant and then they try to do the age of the fetus because things can get wonky. (laughs) And then your next one isn't until like 12 weeks. And then you get another one, you get two more, maybe sometimes between then and the course of your pregnancy. I was like, nah, because of what happened, I need to see this baby more regular. We all need to lay eyes, even Doppler, we need to hear a heartbeat something. So we got more checks. And then every 
week for the last, I want to say two months, I was going in and getting checked, like plugged up to a monitor for like 20 minutes and they needed to hear the baby have a certain amount of something. I forget what it was. And then the last month I was supposed to go in twice a week, but I was like, I can't be taken off like that. My job, like I got to save these, got to save these days because I ain't been here a year. I, I don't get FMLA, which is another thing I have issues with. You only get FMLA after you've been in a place of employment for a year, but whatever. So that was happening. And my doctor even told me, he was like, listen, we can try to wait 40 weeks, but I don't want something between now and then to happen. And you could potentially lose your, lose your baby. They were like, I know you want to do natural birth, but with your history, I would feel more comfortable if we induced at 39. But once again, that relationship was already built, formed and secure. So I was like, you know what? I trust you. Let's go ahead and induce. And I love that, that one, first and foremost, this doctor is amazing because bedside manner, patient care, but also it's, it's the basic fact of being honest and transparent that will receive you so much more respect in the long run, right? The fact that he told you all of this up front and continue to tell you, for me, I am just so appreciative of this man. I like this man better than other people. A lot, lot, a lot, lot. But also I even think about the time because we were working together, how like, I think like your support system may have like expanded a little bit more because I think of like, even with our respectfully respectful bipolar boss, (laughs) Like even she was taking care of you of like, no, like put your feet up, like do this. And like, even your lead was like, how are you doing? Like, what's going on? Are you eating? And like, I even think of me of like, what's going on? What's going on? Like, like, I think like everything happens for a reason. You're placed in a place. God places you in places that we don't know why, but it's for a reason. And I think of like your support system, like you were in a, y'all technically were in a whole different state, just like I was a whole different state, just like, ah, but then your support system system grew to like take care of you and make sure we all brought this little one into life you did the work obviously but (laughs) listen because it was even a fight to bring this little kid into the world because when I found out we were pregnant I did another appointment no something happened and I saw a little spot of blood like minuscule spot of blood and this goes back to you saying your support system is what it is my willingness to share our story I think help people be more aggressive in their support of me because there was a little bitty spot and I was like it'll be okay but my lead was like no your history being what it is you need to go to the doctor and I was like well I can call they were like no close your calendar go to the doctor we went to the doctor there was no heartbeat so this was me like part of the mommy guilt was did I fight hard enough for my child like if I'm a Christian I have faith I'm supposed to believe that the impossible can be possible. Why was it so easy for me to just give up at the first sign that the doctor said the baby had no heartbeat the first time with Deuce? So after me and God did our little tussle back and forth, I was like, you know, if we're pregnant again, I'm gonna fight for my child. Like you told me we were going to get another baby. So I'm gonna fight. So when they heard that there was no heartbeat, I was like, my God, you said (laughs) that we was gonna get another baby. Like, I don't care what happens. You said it. So I'm trusting you that this baby is going to happen. Also, within this point in time, we were trying to get a pediatric 
Well, an OB at the Naval Hospital heard that the list was like five months long. Impossible, they said. So when we went to the ER, I just was telling, you know, the doctor, the ER doctor that was on call, like, yeah, we try to get in for the OB on base. They said it was backed up. She was like, no, with your history, wait a minute, I'll do some calls. Got us an appointment to, you know, go to the OB on base. So everything happens for a reason. And they said, yes, you don't hear a heartbeat now, but we're still in the timeline because there's a point, I think before eight weeks where you may or may not hear a heartbeat for your baby because it's just not strong enough. Like the baby is itty bitty. So sometimes it's not strong enough to pick up. And I think I was like seven weeks. So we came back a week later, we heard the heartbeat and I was like, cool. But during that pregnancy, anytime something would happen, because I think I might've had spotting another time. I was like, Lord, you said this baby's coming. Like, I don't care what none of this other bra is. Like, I, I don't care. I'm fighting for this one because my mom she had trouble conceiving and sometimes I feel like we take the ability to get pregnant and the ability to carry life into the world for granted so my biggest issue was just okay I hope I can get pregnant and so once that happened I thought we was in the clear never knowing that there's still well knowing but not really taking into consideration there's levels to this so I think Deuce also taught me that it's a fight to get pregnant. It's a fight to stay pregnant. It's a fight to deliver and it's a fight to get on the other side. So throughout my whole pregnancy with Alex, I was fighting and up to the test to fight. Like had my little boxing gloves on and was like, okay, we in it. We ready. And now that little boy hearing, sometimes he driving me crazy, but I love him and wouldn't change him for the world. I love that because when you said, first and foremost, the amount of faith that you have and the way you speak to God is so, I admire that. I admire that so much because what I'm learning is sometimes God need reminders. Like I know he's God and he knows, you know, all of being but sometimes you got to remind him like what you said you said this you said in your word blah 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 so now it is time for you to make this happen get this off of me and you do your work and I feel like listen y'all I have a different type of relationship with my God me and my God he knows me he made me so he knows sometimes I come with the pettiness but sometimes I come with so aggressiveness that I need you to do what you need to do like what you said but I think of it as like what you said of like that family history and it goes back to the secrets of like luckily your mom sounds like she actually communicated this to you but like some parents don't. And so they have children. And I think of one of my friends who went through IVF journey, who has a blog and everything. And we'll share that later. She went through IVF journey. And now I'm wondering, like, did her mom have trouble conceiving? Like, is this a history of women who have trouble conceiving? Because when we think about it, it's like, this is supposed to be quote unquote, natural for women to just have a kid. But we need to look at it to me in a grand scheme of like, no, one, because our food is different. Our homeowners are different. We have so it's so much stuff that has changed from now until back, 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 back in the day where people are just popping out 18 kids like nothing. Right. But even then, I even think of um, dang it, I forgot there. It was they were on TV 19 and 20 and something counting or something like that. If I'm not mistaken, if I am, please correct me. During all of those kids, they even had a miscarriage in between one of them. In 
And so it's like everybody's body is different. So when we look at that, especially like when you said, like having trouble to conceive some people, the quote, you know, oh, she's barren. Oh, she's this, the stigmatizing the labels. Well, that doesn't help me because now you're planting seeds in my head. So now I'm going to have to really fight these labels. But then now I'm fighting for my child's life. Who's fighting for my life? And so my question for you is who was fighting for you? I know we were, but who else was fighting for you? Um, my parents, my mom specifically, my husband, like that's another thing. Like Jay, during the whole process with Deuce, Jay fought so hard. Like he carried the majority of the family interactions and everything else. So when we got out of the hospital, I told him, I was like, babe, you need to grieve. Like I didn't go through this process by myself. So I'll take it on. Like it's not fair for us sometimes as women to feel like our significant others are just robots. And although we do a lot of the heavy lifting because it is our bodies, they're still going through it with us. And even more so possibly because he didn't have that bonding in the womb connecting time like I did. So I was like, you know, whatever you need, I got it. Like I'll take over the family from here because you need that time to grieve. You need that time to process. You can't be strong 24 seven. I don't want him to be strong 24 seven because I don't want to be. And that's not fair. So yeah, he was biggest supporter. And then just like everybody I talked to once they got off the initial shock that I was talking to them about stillbirths, <laughs> they were super supportive, super what do you need? Like you said, at work, they immediately gave me the rolling cart. Like I didn't even look pregnant, but they were like, you don't need to lift nothing. Like with your history and just the fact that you're pregnant, you don't need to lift nothing. Like they changed my region for work when I was further along, just in the event that something crazy did happen. I was closer to my husband, closer to the hospital. So my village, it expanded to the size of a small village for real. Because when you're open and you bring good light to people, people naturally want to help you and be on your team. I think it's so interesting too, because I remember at that time we met another coworker and we were talking about like um, just crystals and bringing good energy and everything. And we went to that crystal shop and you got that necklace. And so we like saged it. We were like, everything's good. And we were speaking like affirmations and all of this. And, um, okay. <laughs> um, and I think about that time because I just remember like, I think I may have told you this of like, not just praying with you, praying over you, but going home and like saying affirmations over you, which you probably didn't know, but I'm like saying affirmations for you and saying like that. Cause I'm like, Oh, I cannot wait to meet this little one. And like the little one's coming. God, we can't wait. God, what does this look like? God help, you know, like speaking it out, but it goes back to, yes, it takes a village, but the power of the tongue. Like I remember when, <laughs> I remember when we were doing crystals and stuff and you were like, what is this you got me into? And I was like, just be open. Let's look at it. And then you were like, okay, but that openness, you know, and I love that you said like, not only your village expanded, but also how you talked about hubby and how your hubby was like, you gave your hus husband time to grieve. And I say that because I randomly came across a TikTok or something and y'all sorry y'all know TikTok if y'all don't save it it goes away I randomly came across a TikTok where the guy was talking about um forgetting fathers and I was like what was I'm not gonna lie y'all I thought it was toxic at first I because I only saw the title I was like forgetting fathers <sighs> women do all the work but he was talking about like when people or when families lose a kid it's immediately all mom 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 and the dad is just like well I went through this too like I 
I lost my child, or if it's a daughter, I lost that I may not be able to walk my first child. You know what I mean? Like they have a sense of loss too, but we immediately only surround the woman. And so he was saying like, y'all don't forget the fathers in all of this, because as men, we grieve too, and we have to process this too. And y'all think like we can just go and pop up, you know, go to another woman, pop and get another kid. But he was like, it's still a loss that that's one kid that I won't meet, you know? Yeah. And I was adamant that we didn't forget about Jay because Deuce was a second, like had Jay's whole name. And that's something that he can never give back. Like he can never have a, not that he would want another one, but he can never have another child named after him because Deuce was so far along that he had a birth certificate. I think it might've just been a death certificate because birth and death happened at the same time. But like there can never be another namesake for him. So that's another like mind F that he had to go through. Like my namesake is no longer here. Yeah. I'm over here fighting tears. <laughs> First and foremost, I can't say enough for sharing your story. Thank you. I'm over here fighting tears because I think of like, I have a sixth sense, at least I say it or whatever, uh, <laughs> of like really understanding. Like they say, like you haven't walked in my shoes and I get that, but I have like the sixth sense where I can literally put myself in your shoes and really get grasp those emotions and everything. However, again, no, I have not walked in your shoes. I think of as women, the, the amount of stress that can be placed on us can also be placed on men too. But then also having that little doubt of, can I have a kid? Can I carry a kid? What would that look like? And I think about, cause like when you and I, you helped me through my surgery, right? And so even during that, my doctor asked like, are y'all, if you're wanting to have kids, you have this amount of time span because of everything that happened. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. We didn't talk about this at the beginning before we agreed to do this surgery. Like, <laughs> wait a minute, <laughs> whoa, up, hold up. And so that just opened my mind of like, dang, do I actually physically want to birth a child? You know, and it just starts really popping off these questions that you really take for granted. Right. And I think of like, as a woman to hear the words to bring life into, like you're literally birthing life. But from all this birthing, like you said, you're fighting too. So you're birthing and fighting at the same time for not just your child, but for you and now your husband, right? So it's like a triad that you're like, I got this, I got this. But then the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Ghost is there with you. And they're like, I got this. You just, you're, you just do what you do. All that to say. <laughs> to loop it back is what is one thing and it and you're gonna be nay you know if it's more than one you're gonna do more than one <laughs> but what advice would you give to any woman out there that may or may not have gone through this but may want to think about having a child I would say don't let fear rob you of what could be one of the greatest experiences of your life like if it's meant for you it will happen like you might fight for it it might be a testimony that comes out of it but don't let fear paralyze you into not you know embarking on one of your heart's greatest desires wishes and everything else because even if it doesn't you know come into fruition 
you could have a great testimony that could help somebody else or it can strengthen your faith. Because I tell anybody, you know, I think my grieving process was a little bit easier because I automatically went into, it wasn't Deuce's time to be on this earth. Like he fulfilled whatever plan God needed for him to fulfill because I'm, I'm just of the faith that God will allow you to be on this earth until you accomplish what it is that he needs you to accomplish. And because Deuce wasn't here for that long, he had already accomplished what he needed to accomplish. He was a super baby. Like he wasn't even born and accomplished what he needed to accomplish on earth. Like my faith was nowhere near where it is today. Like other people are now, you know, more knowledgeable about loss and stillbirth and everything else. So Deuce didn't die in vain. He didn't die for any reason. He just accomplished what he needed to accomplish. And I got Alex, who is a superhero in his own right. (laughs) So I got that a million times more than the deepest heartache that I felt at that time. That was beautiful. Y'all audience, I'm over here fighting back tears and I'm like, woo, keep it together because y'all will hear like snide and all this on the podcast. So we're trying not to do that. Well, I'm trying not to do that. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. And I just uh, thank you for changing so many lives that you don't even know you about the change that are about to be changed just because they listen to this episode with you. And so I thank you now. I thank you in the future. And I thank you again in the present. So... And with that, we are going to transition into our next segment, which is Moments of Melanation. Moments of Melanation. Moments of Melanation is where we highlight a Black person doing their thing. Today for Moments of Melanation, we are highlighting. Okay, ladies. So in the midst of me fighting for my life over here, I found a really great organization that I wanted to highlight for Moments of Melanation this week. And that is the Black Mamas Matter Alliance. You can find them online at blackmamasmatter.org. And I thought this was really amazing initiative that they put together because of what we've talked about thus far and how important it is for the health of Black mamas and and people who give birth to be advocated for and protected and all the things. So the Black Mamas Matter Alliance has a Black Maternal Health Week. This year, it was April like 11th through the 17th, and it's an annual week-long public health campaign founded by this organization to build awareness, activism, and community building to amplify the voices, perspectives, and lived experiences of Black mamas and birthing people. So their goals are, aside from just being an organization that is just bringing awareness to some of these things, they're like really doing some actual work. Like their goals are to actually actually change policies and to cultivate research, advance care for Black mamas and shift the culture. So kind of what they what their work entails in general. And this is a quote from their website. We intentionally center Black women's leadership. Black women have knowledge, expertise, and skills to generate and implement solutions that will improve maternal health, rights, and justice, but sometimes lack the platforms necessary to support and amplify their work. The Black Mamas Matter Alliance helps to increase the visibility of Black women leaders, cultivate a deep bench of Black women leaders, recognized for their expertise, contribution, and work, and support more effective collaboration of stakeholders working to advance Black maternal health. So it is not a secret that 
Black women go through quite a bit when it comes to bringing life into the world, seeing as how that all life stems from us. We have the highest mortality rates. And when it comes to uh, pregnancy and getting birth and, and all those things, we have a lot of difficulties. So I love that this alliance has been formulated to bring a awareness to not only the actual lived experiences of people who go through these things, but to amplify voices and actually focus on getting some policies changed, you know, policies changed. A lot of health books to this day, if I'm not mistaken, please correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure that I'm not, have parts of their curriculum, which states to some degree that Black people don't feel as much pain as white people. We have thicker skin or something like that. So when women are going through these issues in really any sort of medical situation, a lot of the times they're not taken as seriously as they need to be. And just like Nay was advocating for herself and things that she needed, and though the staff with, as she says, goodwill and intentions to do what is quote unquote best for her, like she had to advocate for herself. And that's not the case a lot of the times. So and you have these people that have been trained and have all this education and licensing or whatever that are learning from the same curriculum that says Black people don't feel pain. Like, be for real, right? So I think this organization is great. They have some wonderful information and resources on their website to help support this initiative. And I just wanted to share a little bit and shine a little bit of light on some of the really great work that they're doing in support of Black mamas and Black maternal health as a whole. Yeah, I love, love any organization that erases the color of maternal health being white. Like a lot of times when you think of breastfeeding, if you think Think of baby wearing if you think of pretty much anything that has to do with the more holistic part part of motherhood it looks white it looks eurocentric never mind the fact that people in Africa been baby wearing since the inception like people in Africa been breastfeeding because who had bottles and formula and everything else like motherhood is at its core extremely melanated but when it comes mainstream we get erased from the story. So I love anything that highlights the melanation of motherhood and is a support system for us melanated mothers who are trying to get back on our motherhood roots. Yeah, I like this too. Um, One audience, we had a doctor on last year. Her name is Dr. Kelly. She is like in different states. So she's a concierge doctor. I don't know where she is right now. That's why. (laughs) Um, But anyway, like she is really big on black maternal health because she is OGBYN. And so not only that, like when I was in San Diego, because that's where I found her at that time, she was in San Diego at that time. (laughs) But she has a, a business called Viva Life. And in that Viva Life in San Diego, she would put on huge events specifically for black women to educate them on what does that look like? Okay, you're pregnant. What does this look like? Who's talking to you? What is this? Like all of this educational information. But I really love because she partnered with, and I'm not mistaken, San Diego gave her like an award for her being the front runner, like actually going out and trying to make a change. And that's the thing, like it sucks being unheard and not listened to. And unheard, not listened to, and being the most disrespected woman in the world is equal to black. Which again, (laughs) these people, and I won't say these people, this organization, thank you for doing what you're doing because it's making us being seen. And the fact that because of a color, you think my pain is different 
is ludicrous to say the least. And the fact that they are like not only changing mental health, but also policy. And hopefully we can change these textbooks and everything, but also hopefully we can get back to our own and have our own black doctors, have our own black nurses, have our own people that look like us to understand when I say I need to get up and walk. Okay, let's get up and walk. Not because I'm doing what's best for you. You don't know what's best for me. I know what's best for me. Yeah, like on their website, under their change policy, like tab is like actual link that you can click. They have a lot of different issue briefs and reports and publications that are listed. But I mean, they're doing things like wanting to expand midwifery. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Midwifery licensure in Georgia. We know Georgia got a lot of us. Okay. Hot Atlanta is hot for a reason. But having like Black midwives and nurses and people that are educated, A, with the Black experience, B, with the medical experience, and getting more of those people licensed in an effort to support and protect and advocate for those Black women and Black birth and people that are going to be giving birth. They're, they're doing a lot of stuff. So you got, there's so much information on their website. But yeah, there's there's reports, there's issue briefs, there's all kinds of stuff that is specific to actually changing like legislature and licensing for the betterment and the protection of us. And I love that, especially because advocating and not everybody can advocate for themselves. Like if we're being realistic, not everyone knows how to advocate for themselves. And like, unfortunately, a lot of POCs feel like if the doctor is telling me this, I have to do it because that's what the doctor says versus knowing yourself and knowing your body and going against your natural instinct. So So thank you so much for this amazing Moments of Melanation. We are so grateful for them. Um, Y'all know we end every single episode with an affirmation. (laughs) So today's affirmation is... My body is self-healing. My body is powerful and designed for greatness. So guys, you know we come up with all of the content, but this is y'all's podcast too, uh, to some extent. So please, if you have any other topics that you want us to delve more into, any topics you want to hear our takes on, because you know we keep it popping hot out for here, email us at wmbpod at protonmail.com or hit up that little drop box on our website at whereismyblueprintpod.com. Once again, you can email us at wmbpod at protonmail.com or drop us a little comment, a little note, a little suggestion at whereismyblueprintpod.com. Thank you. And yes, our bodies are freaking amazing. God made us because he loves us and we're the chosen ones. Powerful, amazing, but also human. So we still feel the feels and all of that. So with that, we want to say thank y'all so much for, um, thank y'all so much for listening. Y'all can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Amazon Music. We drop an episode every single Wednesday. You can listen to, not listen to, you can follow along and read the blog and all of naysays at where'smyblueprintpod.com. Again, that's where'smyblueprintpod.com. And with that, we are over and out. Bye. Peace out.